my wife for your ministry on the instruments today. Thank you so much. If you are a Christian here today, you are one simply because you have received, believed, or trusted, those are synonymous words, the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, by grace, through faith, plus nothing, minus nothing, and all God's people said. That is so clear. John 1, 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Galatians 3.26 says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And then, of course, we read in Sunday school, Acts chapter 16, verses 30 and 31, when the Philippian jailer came in trembling and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. I'm glad for the day, almost 29 years ago, when I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Have I led an ideal Christian life since? No, and neither have you. But I know that I know that I know that I'm saved. I believed on the Lord. By the way, if you hold your place there in Mark and go over to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, <clears throat> I always like to reference this when I talk about salvation because Ephesians chapter 1 lays out the process of salvation. The process of salvation. It starts in verse number 12 talking about God's eternal purpose in our salvation, that we should be to the praise of His glory. But then it says this, who first trusted in Christ. And then it tells us how that happens. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. No one gets saved without the word of God in some way, shape, or form. Sometimes it's a soul winner speaking the word of God. Sometimes, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's that gospel track that you leave at the, the dinner table uh, as you go out to eat today. Other times it may be, uh, uh, I think about, I remember a dear friend of mine, I asked him, I said, how'd you get saved? He said, 1975 I was watching Billy Graham on TV and he was preaching the word of God. It could be a gospel track, could be a piece of gospel literature. Nobody gets saved without the gospel, without the word of God. But it says this, he heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye what? Believed. You heard the word of God, you believed, and you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. However, there is an implicit truth in trusting Christ that many times we, we miss. And that is simply this. Nobody gets saved without the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by that is this. You have to be convicted that you are a sinner. You know, you ought to look sometime at the times in the Bible of the people that said, I have sinned. 
Some people meant it, and some people didn't. And I want to tell you something. If nobody gets saved without the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Calvinists will tell us, oh yes, see, this is, this is what we mean when uh, we said in John 6, uh, 44, that no man uh, can, can be saved except the Holy Spirit draw him. And what they do is they use that as an excuse to uh, justify that they believe that God has predestined some for heaven and some for hell. That is false. Jesus himself said this. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. That's what he said in John 12, 32. And then later in 2 Peter it would say this. The Lord is not slack, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So when people use that as an excuse to say, well, the, the, the Holy Spirit... By the way, Jesus would, would say, he would, he would talk about one of the greatest uh, incidents in the Old Testament in John chapter 3. Lord of Ephesians, go to John chapter 3 with me, amen. I'm just getting started here, but uh, this, is, this is good stuff in John chapter 3. Look at, uh, as soon as you get there, look at verse number 14. John chapter 3 verse 14 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Remember Jesus said, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. He said, if, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, what? That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Those of you who know your Bibles, those of you who have been, been in Sunday school, you remember that incident in Numbers chapter 21. The, the God's people were murmuring and complaining, and God sent fiery serpents amongst them. Remember what happened? And he began to bite the people, and the people uh, began uh, to get sick, and they were going to die, and God gave a plan. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a brass serpent, and I want you to put it on a pole, and I want you to put it where everyone can see it. And whoever looks at the serpent will live. And whoever doesn't, won't. Do you know if salvation is simple? But it starts with you being convicted of your sin. See, we just, we can't, and, and I, listen, I think I've done it at points in my life where I've just kind of walked people through and given them a false hope of heaven. Because they weren't convicted that they were saying, oh yeah, oh uh, yeah, yeah, I'm a sinner, yeah. Uh. No. I'm going to tell you what, when God really gets a hold of you about your sinfulness, you desire to be saved. Because you know where your sin is going to take you and all God's people said. Jesus was lifted up on the cross. And one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, praise God for this, is to reprove or convict the world of sin. It says that in John 16 verse 8. Again, no one is truly saved who doesn't know that they need to be saved. Because why on earth would you say, I want to be saved when you don't think I have any reason to be saved? I think there'll be many at that, what Jesus said there in Matthew chapter 7, many will say unto me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in my name? Have we not cast out devils? Have we not done many wonderful works? And they'll say, I never 
new year. Many people never get to step one. we got to understand we're a sinner. If you're here today and, and you have not recognized your sinfulness, I, I'll tell you, sir, you're probably lost. Because I remember, I remember the thick conviction of the Holy Spirit. I realize some people are saved younger. My kids were saved younger. But all of them said, I know I'm a sinner, Daddy. I, I know, I know. So important. No one becomes a saint without first the Holy Spirit's help knowing that they're a sinner. But here's the good news. The Holy Spirit is always convicting of sin. And all God's people said, He's not only convicting some. Not just convicting this one or that. He's convicting all of sin. Some recognize it and some don't. This is the underlying reason why we need to trust Jesus Christ. Why? Because there's none righteous. No, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Amen. Why do we believe? Oh, I, I, I get that righteousness of God that covers and cleanses my sin. Well, I think we need to make more of sin than all God's people said. Seems to be missing today. To be saved, you must be lost. Simple as that. A sinner. Christian, how do you react towards the lost? Which, by the way, you once were. Hmm? You ought to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. You, hath he quickened, being dead in trespasses and sins, and it talks about who we were in time past and that we all had our conversation in the fulfilling of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the mind. And we're by nature the children of wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, hath saved us by grace through faith. How do you react when you hear lost people curse? How do you react when you see lost people dress immodestly? How do you react when lost people defend the sin of homosexuality? How do you react when lost people advocate for the death of the unborn? How do you React when you come across a lost person who is stone-cold drunk. How do you react when you know that lost people are living in sin? Oh, it's different if you someone professes a believer and does, does these things, professes to be a believer, then certainly we withstand and we reason out of the Word of God. Do you recoil? Do you get angry? You know why a cat meows? Because it's a cat. As much as I would like cats to bark, they just never seem to do that. Do you know why a lost person sins? Because they're a sinner. They don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling them like you do. By the way, that's God's gift to us the moment we believe. We get the Holy Spirit. 
that helps us. Not only convicts us of our sin, but then begins his ministry inside believers all of our lives. We read the verse that talks about he seals us, but boy, he gives us that holy heartburn when we sin that we never used to get. How do you react to a lost person? You know, one of my, you're not supposed to have favorite missionaries, so don't tell anybody that I said this. Do you know one of my favorite missionaries at our church is? Brother Kyle Joe Hicks. If you don't know Brother Hicks, you need to. I tell you what, you want an experience, you go down to Detroit and you work with Brother Hicks one night. He, he works, by his own admission, Brother Hicks works amongst the zombies. Lost people, homeless communities, prostitutes, he loves lost people. He just goes out with food and clothing and warm coffee and cocoa and he plays his guitar and he preaches. And he loves those people. I think most of us need to look at our hearts and ask ourselves, do we really love the lost? We love each other. By the way, we're supposed to. Love of the brethren is one of the signs that you're saved. It is, it is one of the assurances that God gives us in 1 John chapter 5, one of the many assurances that God gives us that we're saved. But I think that if we're not careful, we can get completely internal. And what we do here at 2301 North Elm doesn't affect the streets of Jackson. Come on now. I want to preach to you today a simple message on loving the lost. Loving the lost. Notice with me back there in Mark chapter 5. First of all, we see the sinner. And I spent a lot of time on, on this idea of understanding that you're a sinner because we see a sinner here. We see somebody who, forgive me, who's a mess. He's just a mess. And what does it say about this sinner? Look at him there. It, it says in verse number 2, it talks about how, you remember this, how Jesus had calmed the storm in Matthew chapter 8, Luke chapter 8, and they, they came over the other side of the sea into the country of the gatherings. And when he was come out, there met him a man, met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had often been bound with fetters and chains, and had been, had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters were broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him, and always night and day, he was in the mountains, and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself. This man, this demon-possessed man, how miserable he was. Nothing could help the hurt. Nothing. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Sinners, many times, they go and they pour that alcohol in their mouth because they are trying to numb the pain. They're trying to heal the hurt. And we know, of course, that doesn't do it. All it does is put it off for a little while. Many people get into illicit drugs to try to numb the pain. Here's a man, this sinful man, and he began, he would go up to the tombstone. 
ago, years ago, I went to lunch with a couple that had been visiting our church. This is probably, probably 10 years ago. They're not here. But I'll never forget, I went to lunch with them and this sweet young couple were considering getting married and had lunch and she was wearing short sleeves. And she just moved her arm just a little bit and I happened to notice and I could I had never seen so many cuts. I'd never seen anything like that. It was like one giant scar. But you could tell they were all individual cuts. And then I began to talk to other pastors and, and people that had cut themselves and they said it was it, it, it's a coping mechanism. It's a way to, that, that actually cutting yourself feels better than they feel on the inside. Now just imagine that, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know about you, when I go to the doctor and they get ready to do the needle, I'm like, you know, I can't imagine, Brother Stark, how hurting a person must be on the inside to, to do that to themselves. But this, this man... He certainly was a, a sinner. He was a sinner. No, he was cutting himself as an outward sign of his inward hurt. You know what, ladies and gentlemen, if, if we're going to love the lost, we're going to have to see them as hurting people. But they cuss. Yeah, they're hurting. They don't know the peace of God that you and I have through Jesus Christ. The sinner. But then notice with me, all throughout this text, we not only see the sinner, but we see the spirits. The spirits. This is one of the passages that gives us uh, some insight into the fact that uh, there is a spirit world all around us. And in this case, sadly, inside of this man. Uh, if you look at verse number 2, it says there, it says, And when he was come out of the ship, there met him out of the tombs a man with a what? An unclean spirit. Jump down to verse number 7. It says, uh, uh, verse 6 says, When he saw Jesus so far off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice. And this is the, this is the devil here, the, 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 the devil that lives inside of him, saying, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? And by the way, it's interesting how, uh, if you'll see the experiences that Jesus had where devils recognized him. They knew exactly who he was. Why? I believe, let me step aside for a moment here. I believe, you say, where, where do devils come from? I believe that God created all the angels. The Bible tells us that he created everything that is. And that uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 14 tells us that Lucifer led a rebellion of angels. It says it also in Revelation chapter 12 verse 3 and 4. It says, and his tail drew the third part of the stars. Stars is another name for angels. And that one-third of heaven's angels rebelled with Satan and were cast out. And that's where you have demons or devils. Now, not everybody holds to that. That's why I stepped aside. I think most people that I know that, that read the Bible hold to that. But I would certainly give my brother uh, or sister a different perspective on that. But wherever they came from, they're here in this text. And they recognized Jesus. And I believe very clearly they recognized Jesus because they were in heaven with him. They knew who he was. 
He's the crown prince, the son of God of heaven. Amen. The king of kings and the lord of lords. And so they recognized him and they said, what, what have I to do with thee? And for verse 8, for he said, he said unto him, come out of the man, thou what? Unclean spirit. Verse 9, Jesus asks him, he says, what is thy name? And he answered, my name is Legion, for we are many. Uh, a Roman legion was 6,000 Roman soldiers. There are people, as you know, scholars believe, that this man had over 6,000 devils inside of him. Some say 2,000 because later you'll see that number of uh, the swine. But, by the way, one would be awful enough. It keeps going there. Verse 10, it said, uh, he And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. And if you look down at verse 12, it says, And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine. These devils, this, these evil spirits had inhabited and tormented this man. By the way, I love this. Notice they were not all powerful. They had to ask Jesus. And it actually says there in the text, it says, and Jesus gave them leave. You know what that means? They Forgive me. They had to come to Jesus and say, may we please have your permission. You know what that tells me? Jesus is all powerful. Jesus, he's, he's more powerful than any, any devil or any demon that, that exists. So you see the, the sinner. You see the spirits. All through this text we see the Savior, don't we? You know what the sinner needs? He needs the Savior. Listen to me. He doesn't need your conservatism. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't need, he, forgive me, he doesn't need your plans and your ideas. He needs the Savior. The sinner needs the Savior. Man's greatest basic need is he needs to be saved from the power and penalty of his sin. We see the Savior here. Look at verse 6. It says, But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Verse 8. You see him here, he says, For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And then, in verses 19 and 20, we see something different. We'll get to it in a little bit here. But howbeit Jesus suffered him not, saying, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had what? You know, you know where loving the lost starts? Forgive me, ladies and gentlemen. It starts with a tender heart. I think far too many times we have a hard heart. We have a hard heart. We look at somebody and we, 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 we say, well, you know, they, 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 they made their bed, let them sleep in it. Do you realize if you and I, if God dealt with you and I that way, do you realize how bad our bed would be? Yeah. Well, Mercury was saying in Sunday school, but Ken, after he was picking on my preaching. He was saying how thankful he was for God's grace in his life. Yes. Hey, you know what? 
people that love the lost are thankful for God's grace in their own life, and they want somebody else to experience it in their life. Huh? Loving the lost. We see the Savior. We see His compassion. But you know what we also see in regards to this demon-possessed man? Was we see His confrontation. Listen, nobody gets saved by lifestyle evangelism. You know what lifestyle evangelism is? It was uh, something that came around particularly in the, the mid to late 90s, and it became a replacement for personal soul winning. And it's simply this, is people say, well, you know, if you just live a good life in front of somebody, then they'll get so hungry for what you have, they'll ask you, what must I do to be saved? You know what, Uncle Joe, I've been saved almost 30 years. I have never had that happen to me. And I think I've lived a pretty consecrated Christian life. I've never had somebody come up to me and say, you know, you look so much like Jesus, tell me how to be saved. Listen to me. Now, here's something that kind of the, the ultra crowd on the other side could use a little bit. Some people are so nasty with the gospel that their lifestyle turns people off. Yeah. But I will tell you this. Lifestyle evangelism isn't a substitute for soul winning, but it should be a supplement. You ought to live right. You ought to live clean. You ought to live holy. You ought to live. But people, here's what I was going to say about that, about Jesus. We have compassion, but we also have, number two, confrontation. People need to be confronted with the fact that if they don't get saved, they're going to go to devil's hell. Good people, quote unquote, need to be confronted. Now, we don't have Mr. Merrill here because he would tell me there's none good. Amen? Right? But you know what I mean when I say good people. People that go to work every day, people that, you know, take care of the yards, people that help you when you have something go wrong, good neighbors, all that. They need to be confronted with the fact that we're all sinners, including them. Yes. See, loving the lost not only involves compassion, but it involves confrontation. I know some of you are like, man, I just can't stand confrontation. I understand that, but it does not—it does not excuse you of the responsibility to reach people. That's why Jesus Christ left us here. He said, "Go ye in all the world, preach the gospel to every creature." That's our listen, ladies and gentlemen. As a church, that's the reason we exist—to reach people with the gospel. So we see the Savior. We see His compassion. We see His confrontation. Later we would see his commission. This, this man would trust Christ. He would worship the Lord. He, Jesus would cast the demon out and what would happen? He'd be sitting clothed. Boy, I'd like to preach on that a while. When people get saved, they get, usually the clothes get straightened out. Yeah. And in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. I've said this before. Nobody with the Holy Spirit in dwelling has to be told over and over and over and begged to come to church. Or they shouldn't be. He just wanted to sit at Jesus' feet and learn. He, as a matter of fact, he wanted to follow Jesus everywhere. And Jesus said, no, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and tell what I did for you. Do you know that's what he tells us to do? 
Just go and tell what I did for you. Say, I don't know what to say. Why don't you just tell what happened to you? I was a seven-year-old boy and I heard the gospel. I heard that Jesus loved me and I realized that I was a sinner and I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's changed my life. That's what happened to you. I was a 23-year-old who knew he was a sinner. And God has changed my life. Go tell how great things the Lord hath done for you. And I love what it says about this, this man. I'll get, I'll get into it a little bit. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Look, number four. So the sinner, the spirits, the Savior... A kind of an, a, a strange character in this story is the swine. The swine. But there you see in verse number 11 through 13, it says, And there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, not popular animals amongst the Jews. Amen. I think we all know that. These would be Gentiles for sure. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter there. And here it is. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000. And they were choked in the sea. I heard a preacher say one time, he said, even a hog doesn't want to have anything to do with the devil. Dr. Malone used to preach on this text, and he, he said after Jesus cast out the demons, he said they went down a sleep, steep place, and they all committed hogicide. Because they were demon-possessed. Swine. Strange. Strange part of the story, isn't it? I, you know, I find it strange that devils or demons always want to inhabit something. Some sort of living organism. Strange. But the sinner, the spirits, the savior, the swine. How about the society? The society. We see, we see the society first in uh, verse number 3. It talks about the man who had his dwelling among the tombs. And that's a scary place to live, a graveyard. I remember, you know, again, you, you, you're more superstitious as a child and stuff like that. As a, you don't go to graveyards after dark. It's spooky. It just is. What does it say here? It said, And no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder. So what do we see from society here? We see their, their idea of this sinner was just isolated. Now, again, I'm not discounting as we have up the road some places that have razor wire for people that have committed acts and all God's people said. And again, we're no better. I've, 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 Brother Mike, I've preached in prison. I've told those men, I said, I didn't get caught doing a lot of things that might have put me up in here when I was a little younger. But their answer to this man was to chain him and just get him away from everyone else. And it didn't work. Didn't work. You know what? Listen to me. The, the chains of man and the chains of religion will never work. What works is the gospel. 
See, because what people need is a heart change. Then if you look down at verses 14 through 17, it says, Then they that fed they that fed the swine fled. These were the employees, and told it to the city, told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed of the devil and had the legion sitting clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell, how he was possessed of the devil and concerning the swine. And they began to pray him that they would depart out of their coasts. You know what? They did not care one bit about the man who had all the devils. But they cared about losing money. Now think about that. Think about that for just a moment. They did not treat this man as a person of real value, but as a problem to be removed. And now they wanted Jesus gone too. He was the real problem. Remember when Paul and Silas, they, they, they cast a, a demon out of a, a girl. And you remember what the, the city said? They said, oh, we're, 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 we're gonna, this, this, this girl made us much gain. She was a soothsayer, a sorcerer. Well, what is that? What, what is astrology and all that? I'll tell you what it is. It's messing with demons. It's exactly what it is. And she, she, so they were more worried about the money lost. You know, there are people in this world, evil people that traffic human beings, and they see human beings as dollars. You know, if you're, if you're an employer... You got to read Ephesians chapter 6 about what God says about the employer and how he ought to be good to his employees. And if you're an employee, you ought to read Ephesians chapter 6. And it says you're to work for the Lord when you work for your employer. Because if you work for the Lord, you'll do a better job for your employer. see here. We see society was, well, let, let's, just, let's just isolate him and then, no, just get this man away from us. Isn't it amazing, ladies and gentlemen, we're, we're living in a day where people like you and I are looked at as troublemakers. Because all we want people to do is know about Jesus. We just want to know, hey, he can change your life. We'll say, I don't need to be changed. Society, the swine, the Savior, the spirits, the sinner, and I love this part. Notice with me the saint. He was a sinner at the beginning. Now he's a saint at the end. By the way, that's going to be our testimony in heaven. I was once a sinner, but I came, pardoned to receive from my Lord. This was freely given. But he said, when I believed on his word, there's a new name written down in glory. And it's mine. Yes, it's mine. What does it say? That? What do we see about this saint? Verses 15 through 18, we see that he was different. We see that he was different. I love this phrase. You see it over and over. It says, and they come to Jesus and see him that what? What's it say there? Was possessed with the devil. Verse 16, and they that saw it told him how it befell him that was possessed of the devil. Verse 18. And when he was come into the ship, he that 
had been possessed with the devil. You know what we see there? He was different. Something happened. Something happened. Hey, Christian, you know what? You, the works that you live, again, we're not saved by works, but I'll tell you this, the works that you do in your life, they, should, they, they actually do or don't show people that something's different. Something is different. I, I get to go back to New England so, so sparing. When I do, it's almost always to, to preach or, or to see a family member a funeral or something like that. So I don't get to see a lot of my friends, but I'm thankful. I do still have some friends that I correspond with on Facebook, forgive me, who were my friends during my lost days. And we did things, as Ephesians 5 says, that, are, that it's not right to speak of. And I can tell you this, if you asked them, so you knew Rich back then, and you know you know Pastor Rich now. Said, do you think he's different? I guarantee you, they would say, "Oh my goodness, yes." Or they might say, "Not oh my goodness." They might say something else and say he's different. By the way, it's one of the things I think convinced my dad and led to, to his salvation on the last day of his life. My pastor asked him. He said, "Mr. Zavodsky, how do you explain the change in your son?" And my dad said, "I can't." Spirit will marinate on that to lead to somebody's salvation. He's different. By the way, saints, we ought to be different. We make a difference by being different. So what do we see about this saint? He's different. Then we see him departing in verse number 20. It says, And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all did marvel. And what we see him declaring in verse 19. So not only different and departing, but declaring. What's he declaring? Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee. Just tell them what Jesus had done for him. So, let me just give you some applications. We're right on time. How can we love the lost? You know what the key to loving the lost is? The, the key to loving the lost. Somebody asked... Hudson Taylor one time, great pioneering missionary. They, one of, one of a, a young student asked him, he said, Mr. Taylor, do you believe the number one requirement for missionaries is that they love souls? It's a good requirement. Amen? Hudson Taylor said no. He said the number one requirement for missionaries is that they love God. If they love God, they will love souls. Because God loves people, as Dr. Vic reminded us so many years ago, Brother Wally and I were just talking about that on Friday. We had Dr. Richard Vic for our missions conference in 2015, and I had made a decision in 1999, Lord willing, I had met Dr. Richard Vic, and I said, Lord, if you'll ever let me pastor, I want to have Dr. Vic come and do a missions conference. We had been in a few years. And uh, God brought that back to my mind. The Holy Spirit called that to remembrance. And I called Dr. Vic, and I got, I got a hold of him, got his phone number through the mission agency, and I'll never forget what he said. Uh, I said, Dr. Vic, I told him that story, and I said, boy, the Lord convicted me about that. We want to have you come to our missions conference. He said, you know I'm 80. <laughs> I love that, amen. I said, I know. I want you to come. So he comes, we, we fly him out, and I pick him up at the Detroit airport, and we're coming back. 
and I'm sitting there with, with Mrs. Vick, and, and uh, I can't remember, I think he had to, we got out, got a coffee or something like that, and Mrs. Vick said, she was so nice, Miss Florine, she said to me, she said, you know, it's so nice of you to have Richard. People don't ask him to get out much more since the dementia. And I was like, <laughs> the, the what? <laughs> I'm telling you. And then I, 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 hey, I came to that understanding that Brother Cole, God knew that. Yeah. Even if Dr. Vic didn't know it, God knew it. And now I knew it, and God, God had settled that in my heart all those years ago to have him. Folks, I believe, now, again, some of you are here for that missions conference. Some of you have come since. Miss Ruth Marie, I believe that was the missions conference that kind of changed us missions-wise. We were a good missions church, I feel like, before that. But ever since then, I mean, again, to go from 16 missionaries to 62 missionaries, it's a group effort. But it's all about this one thing. And this is what Dr. Vick, some of you remember, he, he, a couple of times during the week he'd start a message and then five minutes later he'd restart it. And we were all kind of like, ooh. And we're okay. But remember what he kept saying? God loves people. God loves people. Can I put it this way? God loves sinners. Which is a synonym for people. Because everyone who is breathing God's air, born of man and woman, is a sinner, whether they know it or not. Some of us know it. And those of us who do know it and love God, that's number one, to love and the lost. The reason why more people, listen to me, Loomis Park Baptist Church, the reason why more people don't love the lost, don't care about the lost, don't try to reach the lost, is they don't love God nearly as much as they think they do. If you love God, you'll love lost people. Number two, remember that you were once lost and somebody cared. For me, it's Bob Barnes. I can't wait to see Bob in heaven. 29 years ago, this month, Bob shared two gospel tracts with me in a quick word about how hell wasn't a place that was a big party. Didn't take me down the Romans road, shared Christ, cared about my soul, gave me those gospel tracts, I read them, Three months later, the Holy Spirit convicted me of my need to be saved, and I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. And what if Bob said, who cares? Now, nobody ever says who cares. But if we don't take the gospel to people, in essence, we're saying, who cares? Who cares about them? Listen to me, Christian. You're supposed to care. Somebody cared for you. The only reason you're going to heaven is because somebody cared for your soul. It's time we started remembering that. As we look around, Phil Tharp, I appreciate so much Phil Tharp, one of our professors, he used to say every time you go to the mall, every time you go somewhere, he said when people pass by, you say heaven or hell, heaven or hell, heaven or hell, heaven or hell, heaven or hell. Why? Because they're all going to heaven or hell, heaven or hell, heaven or hell. Every one of those people that's in your path, your neighbor, your co-worker, your friend, your family member, 
It's up to you to care. And because somebody cared for you, it should cause you to care. So, how can we love the lost? Love God. Remember that you were once lost and somebody cared. Keep eternity in view. Keep eternity in view. What does that mean? It means this life, even if we're blessed to live, I, I see the Kellys out there, married all those years in their 90s. If you're, you're blessed to live 70 years, you're blessed. If, you're, if you get 80 years, you're blessed. If you're 90 years, you're blessed. But eternity will dwarf it all. And everyone that you meet, everyone that you come in contact with, is an eternal soul that is going to live forever in heaven or hell. That will help you love the lost. To remember. This, forgive me. This person who uses language that's coarse and drives me crazy is an eternal soul for whom Jesus loved and died. Yeah. Amen? And then, lastly this morning, and this is the part I think many times we miss. How can we love the lost? We need to love God. We need to remember that we were once lost and somebody cared about us. We need to keep eternity in view. We need to ask God for help. Listen to me. Loving lost people is a supernatural thing. The natural thing is for us to recoil, get upset, and say, well, I'm not going to ever. That's the natural thing. The supernatural thing is when Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to them that despitefully use you. Pray for them. Loving the lost takes divine power. And so what you need to do is, first, it's kind of like we were talking about at the beginning, that person who, who is going to be saved, they're going to have to admit they're a sinner. That person who's going to love the lost is going to have to admit that they haven't been loving the lost very much and they need God's help. Think about this year. Ask yourself, how many, how many gospel tracts have I given to other people? You know, I just did my Christmas cards. By the way, mailboxes out there. Please stop by your mailboxes. They're about to fill up over the next few weeks. Amen. Uh, but there's a Christmas card in, in your mailbox today from me. The ones I send, I, I have many people I've been sending Christmas cards for for 25 years, Miss Judy, and I know they're lost. And every year I send, I try to send a different gospel track. Why do you do that? Because I might be the only person that ever shares the gospel with them. And who knows? I don't know. I'm looking forward to, I'm hoping, praying, believing, as I send those cards out, that one day in heaven, one of my friends, Brother Mike, from those old days, is going to say, you know, one year, I was so down, and I got that Christmas card, and I saw you guys in your ridiculous flannel shirts, on that John Deere, Mary. Mary's a farm all girl, amen. And I read what you gave me. And I 
that I was a sinner. And I trusted Jesus as my Savior. Wouldn't that be something? It won't happen if you don't care. And I'm not saying I'm any better than any of you. I, there are times when I'm cold and I have to say, God, I need your help. I need, I need you to warm my cold heart again. Listen, as, as Christians, as a church, as Loomis Park Baptist Church, we need to love the lost. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us.